What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. If you've already heard about the two great companies which support this show, CoinKite and River, skip ahead 70 seconds. If not, permit me that time to tell you why they might be of interest to you. CoinKite offers the products you need to securely store and use your Bitcoin. Recent events have once again shown, for many painfully, why it's so important to get your Bitcoin off exchanges or any other third party and take custody of them yourself. Do not wait to be another victim of their incompetent, fraudulent, or malicious behavior. The whole point of Bitcoin is to eliminate counterparty risk and avail of the unique freedom which that provides. The cold card is a time-tested, Bitcoin-only hardware wallet for doing just that. Taking self-custody may seem intimidating at first, but there are many resources available to guide you every step of the way and help you to experience just how empowering and liberating taking back control of your money can be. To get more info about their excellent lineup of products, visit coinkite.com. River allows you to securely buy Bitcoin, zero fee dollar cost average, and purchase hosted mining rigs. Also, their Lightning service enables developers and companies to integrate Lightning payments into their applications without having to run any Lightning infrastructure themselves. I recommend River because of their dedication to service, stellar team, and custom approach to building a next-generation financial services business on Bitcoin. To get started, visit river.com today. Let's do it. There we go. We're live. Uh, so how should I pronounce your your name or at least the one that's listed here on the screen? So you can, uh, it's, Paul is fine, but the uh, the proper pronunciation is Pavel. It's actually Polish. Um, but my friends all call me something, a slight variation of, of that. Um, so you, even closest friends all call me something slightly different. So however rolls off the tongue works for me. So, well, I'd like, did you say pa Pavel? Is that correct? Yeah, Pavel. And the, the way I would describe it to people is the W is actually like a V sound similar to German. Right. And then the L is actually supposed to have a line through it, which makes it a W sound. So if you phonetically would spell it out, it would be P-A-V-E-W. So Pavel. 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 There you go. Not Perfect. so bad. <laughs> well, listen, man, thanks for uh, for joining me today. You you responded to a tweet I put out a little while back. I'm I'm doing a lot of these discussions lately where I just shoot out one of those tweets and anyone who responds, basically we we set up a chat because uh, I don't know. I just enjoy hearing from Bitcoiners out there in the wild, wherever they may be and whatever they're doing. It's always fun to hear a little bit about their story and what they're thinking about things. So how do you want to get it kicked off? Um, maybe this is a, a, a first time, but I'd like to request to just throw out a prayer out there to start with that, just to kind of set the tone. Sure. I don't know if that's something that's that you've heard before, but, um, if we could start there, that'd be awesome. Sure. You just going to read it? No, I'm just going to say really quickly, father, we thank you so much for John. We thank you so much for what he's been able to do in this community with this amazing invention that, that we call Bitcoin of corralling some of the legends in the space to really educate and uh, help us understand what this truly is. We thank you for the opportunity to just chat with him today. Um, we ask that it be profitable and fruitful and that we reach uh, folks to, to help them really seek truth and provide insights they wouldn't have otherwise had. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, that was beautiful. Great way to start the discussion. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, I didn't really uh, prepare too much, so I felt, <laughs> felt like I needed that just to kind of 
help me navigate this conversation because it's not something I, I typically do. Sure. I'm guessing, have you done, you know, a podcast or an online interview or anything like that before? I haven't. This is actually the first one. Cool. So I really appreciate the opportunity for, I love what you're doing of just trying to get plebs out there and just talk about the story and different walks and, and how, how Bitcoin's really impacted them. And, and uh, for me, it's ultimately just been a, a really deep rabbit hole um, of just like pursuing truth and, and really getting to the first principles of, of anything and everything. Mm -hmm. um, I started off in the space in 2017 when a friend actually ironically introduced me to Ethereum. I don't know, it was like early, early 2017, it was around like $20. Um, and although I really liked it, the, um, the economics of Bitcoin is what really hooked me in and really got me down the rabbit hole. And obviously 17 was a crazy year with, with the ICOs and, and, um, all sorts of buzz around crypto, but there was something about Bitcoin that really drew me in, um, from a foundational perspective of really changing the system as we know it. Um, and I was, I was big on economics in high school. Um, I remember uh, a close friend of mine who I'd lost touch with, but he was essentially the, the valedictorian. And he had such a FU attitude toward the system. I remember him, he introduced me to Ron Paul back, back in the day. And uh, he was a big proponent of gold and sound monetary policy. And... Um, and so when Bitcoin came out, I was already kind of on that track and it was just powerful to see how we can, there's a semblance of uh, uh, an opportunity to really get back to a, a standard that is incorruptible, you know, gold uh, for the longest time in history has really been that, but it's had such a long track record. So for something like Bitcoin to really, um, get introduced on the scene and and offer some hope for for this digital world was was really something that that struck me you know back in 2017 when i first learned about it and then it just opened up rab rabbit holes left and right of of understanding how the system works how the federal reserve really works and the the underpinnings of society today yeah uh, uh, well i i obviously completely agree were you were you critical of all that stuff prior to learning about Bitcoin? Because, you know, some people fall down the rabbit hole. And as you said, like so many, so much stuff needs to be recapitulated, it needs to be reformulated on a, on a more truthful foundation, let's say. But, you know, for some people, that process starts when they start learning about Bitcoin. And for other people, it's more of a solution, you know, and that's where I was, the, the perspective I was coming from. I had perceived, you know, let, you know, the the foundation of falsity, let's say that so much of society was based on. And I was looking for something to resolve that, but I, prior to encountering Bitcoin, I hadn't found anything. Where, where, where was your head at when you, in 2017? Um, for me, it was something similar and it wasn't something that directly impacted me. So although I had my views, it wasn't like part of who I was. Right. Um, I understood that there was like corruption, but you know, and then politics and, but I wasn't, I didn't really involve myself in such a way that, that, um, that I, it really drew me in. Um, in 2017, obviously it did a little bit. And, you know, we, the, the crypto space and Bitcoin is very humbling and that, you know, you're always looking for something better. And early on, before I 
had that solid foundation, I was still beginning my journey. You know, I, I, my, my own uh, views of, of the, the altcoins and, you know, trying to get involved with the next big thing and opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, but over time, it, uh, I realized that the, there's only one that's incorruptible and that's Bitcoin. And, um, and so I would say that although I had those views, they were kind of loosely held. Mm-hmm. Um, and as time progressed and advanced, and I started learning about, you know, the Federal Reserve in a more concrete way and fractional reserve banking. And a lot of these things are just based on, on error and fluff, right? And that's the things that can be manipulated. I mean, even gold, right? There's, there, there's this uh, before, you know, 71, we we're on the gold standard, but we don't know how much was being rehypothecated, how much was truly in reserves, right? And Bitcoin offers the opportunity to really provide a zero trust system to provide a system that's, that's based on, you know, uh, verifiability and it's, you know, don't trust verify type of deal. And that's for the first time, we have a technology that we can base our, our economic system and financial monetary system on something that's verifiable. And, you know, we still have, you know, the counterparties that can fudge things that we, as we've seen with FTX, mm-hmm. but ultimately, you know, uh, People are seeing how how the 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 hands are being dealt, and really taking uh, the time to understand how we can solve this problem. Um, so, I mean, between Bitcoin and COVID, it's been the most tremendous learning experience, right? Because all the stuff coming out um, and all the things that that. Previously, you know, world leaders would get away with um, mm-hmm. is now open in the air and 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 it's making people question so many more things. So as terrible as, as COVID was for me personally, man, it was a it was an eye opening experience to really start question everything, everything from the system to politics and and uh, and the underpinnings of society. Um, so it's been as as as, you know, the difficult times have been with with COVID and and with Bitcoin fluctuations you know I was I obviously started in in 2017 and have seen all sorts of dips and and uh, rises and um, you you start to get acclimated to what real truth is right Mm -hmm. and and what a solution might be for society that's that's based in truth and not on the words of politicians and leaders Um, so to answer your question it started off with like uh, a vague understanding and, and skepticism. I've always been a contrarian, like all my friends say, oh, you just like to argue. But the reality is I like to play devil's advocate to really to really arrive at that truth. Right. right? And not really be not really just take things at face value um, anymore. And Bitcoin and, and, you know, I would say COVID are, have been really the eye opening experiences that that have led me down that path. I really like that term becoming acclimated to the truth because i think i think that's a very good way to put it because it if you've been living in a well perception that's based on lies or at least you know a lot of lies or or uh falsehoods then it can be abrupt or it can be somewhat disorienting or disruptive if once you kind of inject a a greater form of truth into your perception or even grounded in one. And I think those two things that you mentioned, both COVID and Bitcoin for a lot of people have really kind of shaken up the snow globe of their, you know, their perception of the world 
And that right. can be very disorienting, you know, and I think it's the, that's the, the, the last two years have, have really shown that. And I think that's why, well, I, I think that's the process people have been dealing with is, is trying to figure out how to reorient themselves one in this world where it seems like the, the corruption and the unfairness and the greed and all that is just openly on display now for everyone to see. And where something like Bitcoin exists that is seemingly this, you know, incorruptible foundational form of truth that if you align with it, if you adopt it, if you see through it and buy it, you can invite more truth into your life. And I think people are beginning to figure out just how rewarding that can be on every single level from financial to personal to familial, relational, health, social, like it's just it. And, and that's, that must speak to its value. That must speak to, you know, the value of truth generally that it, it's impact, it's positive impact is so broad and deep. Um, and, you know, I think what's happening now with all this, uh, everyone getting wrecked, you, you know, using third parties and custodians and stuff is, is kind of that process playing out in the financial realm, which is everyone's trying to treat this new phenomenon, this new entity in Bitcoin, like everything that's preceded it. And it, it just, the whole value of it is that you can you can interact with it, you can have a relationship with it that doesn't require all of the other baggage that you know everything else used to need. But people are you know people are trying to fit a you know a square peg into a round hole, as it were. And I think people are getting wrecked as a result of that because they're learning the hard way that this is an entirely new thing, and you need to constitute constitute an entirely new relationship with it. You know, you know, perhaps first as an entry, as a financial asset, but then as you described, and as many of us are finding out, um, you know, as a, as a, a basis to recapitulate and, and develop more clarity around pretty much everything, you know, everything in the realm of value, which is everything, you know, all action basically. Yeah. And the, um, <clears throat> the other thing is like, we never really had an asset where to transact value in such a, intimate way right the financial system has always required intermediaries and the fact that we can take the base currency now um, and validate it and transact with it is just incredibly powerful to disintermediate the the system that is arguably the root of all corruption which is you know fiat money and to be able to have this, this tool to bypass any, any corruptible, you know, players is just remarkable. It's, it's incredible to, to have something like this. And I really love, um, I really love the way Jack Mahlers describes it of this is the first time we're innovating with money since like the sixties or whatever, whenever, when the credit card came out. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I remember his, his speech at, uh, at Bitcoin, the conference where we're in Miami, where he talked about, um, where we talked about the, that progression and how all financial transactions are essentially debt based. And this here, we have an instrument where you can transact value without debt and immediately, you know, send it to a person in a couple of seconds right now with lightning. So it's just, it's it's wild. It's something that that I think people are still not grasping. But you know, with people like yourself and all the promoters, all the incredible thought leaders, it's it's growing. And with the fiascos, you know, it's flushing out a lot of the 
a lot of the puffery and a lot of the, um, you know, cognitive dissonance that there is around the system, that it's unchangeable, that, that we'll never be able to, to get out of it and, and end the corruption. Um, because it's living proof, like it, and the fact that it, that it, you know, there's the ups and the downs, but we have to realize it's, it's only a, a few years old. And the mm-hmm. fact that it's, it's taken, um, it's withstood the powers that be that have historically controlled everything. Um, it's just incredible. And so yeah. it's, it's awesome to, to, to have this and, and be able to explain it to people and, you know, as this craziness is going on, I mean, look at FTX, they didn't necessarily, they didn't have any Bitcoin on their balance sheet. So it's, it's a great way to say, wait, hold up. You know, if someone says, you know, oh, FTX is collapsing, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't trust any crypto. It's like, okay, let's, let's unwind that a little bit. Let's, let's understand, use that as an opportunity to really explain to them, you know, this has nothing to do with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the solution to all this. Um, and so it's just it's just incredible to to really slowly but surely continue to establish confidence in this and be able to bring others in and explain what what that means and and uh, you know the, the these people yell and and complain that it's volatility but it's that volatility that that is crucial and important early on to help others get in and to help others. Um, get involved in a way that that can be meaningful right because if we kept skyrocketing after it hit 60k and it just kept going up you know it'd be unattainable for for most people so this is just a awesome opportunity for the first time we have we have plebs front running you know financial institutions and um and there's still a lot of corruption still a, a long march ahead but but it offers hope um and i really love sailors kind of uh shtick of of bitcoin is hope um because i think it ultimately reigns true in every as every facet of life yeah i totally agree it's funny my i was talking with my mom yesterday and she you know her friends and people she knew were talking about the crypto blow up and crypto is dead and all that kind of stuff and she was telling me how she was telling them guys guys you got to realize that crypto and bitcoin are totally separate they're not in the same class at all and she was telling me like they just don't get it i don't know why they don't get it <laughs> i was like oh my heart was like exploding it was a proud moment not, not everyone <laughs> has such a good teacher like yourself you know? <laughs> but but you know it, it's interesting you know we talk about this you know uh influence on how you perceive things that this is having and you know it's not it's no uh, secret that a lot of people in Bitcoin are critical of, you know, the system of politics and the system, you know, the financial system and many other ways in which things work, especially after the last two years. And I never really thought about it quite in these terms, but I think an easy heuristic might not be the right word or maybe let's see, but, um, you know, you could say the, the products, let's take fiat currency. What does it allow in terms of what bubbles up from, you know, that mechanism or tool? Well, because it allows for theft, both, you know, direct and indirect through inflation, then you get these institutions that are highly corruptible, that become enormously powerful, that, you know, tip the, the, the scales in, in, in favor of a select few that create an incre- increasingly unfair, uh, disproportionate system, all that stuff we know. And we could say, well, that is permitted by what we think is just unethical, which is the ability to steal from someone. Right. And so as a result, all the products of that 
attribute of that tool have to be uh you know thrown out basically whereas we have mm -hmm. something like bitcoin and we say what are the ethics of bitcoin and you know some of them are are at least can't be stolen from i will not steal from you you can't be stolen from if you treat this properly and so what are the whatever bubbles up from a you know a tool or a mechanism with those ethics imbued into it ought to be considered good i think and so i think you know part of the reason why so many of us are so uh you know, ready and willing to dismiss the current system as it is, is because we know just on principle that it is the way that it is. It is the shape, it is the size, it is all that based on an unethical uh, mechanism. And so, you know, because a lot of people, a lot of people will criticize Bitcoiners oftentimes for being so, you know, dismissive and, you know, whether you're an anarchist or a libertarian or whatever, it's like, you know, the whole dialogue about, um, you know, what system of governance is best and there's a progressive view and all this kind of view. But the, the real question is, well, what institutions, what institution of power, let's say, of, you know, what central authority should we, would be legitimate on a Bitcoin system on a, it, with a money where you cannot be stolen from? What should we expect to bubble up? And I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I'm, I suspect we'll find out through the course of our history, whether or not you and I are around to, to witness it. But I think we will find out like what social institutions emerge when nobody can be stolen from. You know, at the very least, mm -hmm. you you would expect that they're going to be voluntary. And so I think based on that, they're going to be more equal than they are today. But I do think it means that just it, it's it's just easier to discredit and dismiss the ones we currently have because we know they're based on theft. You know, so mm -hmm. you you can argue till you're blue in the face about the merits of, you know, progressive uh, democratic socialism, you know whatever whatever systems of governance we have around the world today you know people talk about the scandinavian countries and they obviously lean quite socialist or have over the years but it's like they're all discredited because they're all way bigger and have way more power and authority than they ought to by virtue of the fact that they're able to steal from people and so they're all thrown out and and you know so i bring up that example just as one way of having a new heuristic or filter by which to look at all the institutions that we engage with in society and say, are they predicated on ethical or moral grounds? If not, then they need to be, if not, you know, thrown out, they need to be reconstructed. They need to be, you know, rehashed in some way. And if they are, and I, you know, it might be a challenge to find them in this day and some in this day and age that actually are, but I suspect that the, the institutions that grew up around Bitcoin, whatever kind of, however they end up looking, we will perceive them as being ethical because they won't exist unless we desire them to, because they, they won't be able to fund themselves, you know? And this is the fascinating uh, or tumultuous period that you and I find ourselves in because, you know, we're, we're at the very beginning of this story. You know, our grandkids, you know, might, will probably be in a very different era, but we're in the one where uh, all those institutions that derive their power and size based on that unethical behavior of being able to steal from people they are going to bump up against not being able to fund themselves if if everything goes, you know, if Bitcoin survives and keeps going because people will be less and less able to be stolen from. And so what happens when those formerly Leviathan institutions are no longer able to, to fund themselves? I mean, you know, will they go quietly, I guess? And, uh, you know, that that's that's the thing that I suspect you and I are going to find out. Yeah, so I, I, I completely agree with everything that you say. And one thing I'll add is, First of all, they won't go quietly. But um, second of all, you know, many people, many really smart people that that um, have been 
following this uh, in, in more depth, like the Federal Reserve and, and the fiat system, knew that from, the, from before Bitcoin was a thing. But the problem was, you know, are you really going to hit yourself to a problem that there's no solution to? Mm. And the fact that there is a, a way out, an opportunity to opt out, really gives a, just immense power to the folks who, who had those beliefs, but there was no hope, right? Like, how are mm. you going to overcome the elephant in the room, you know, of that, that's, that controls everything? Um, when there's no, there's no perceivable solution, right? And so like the idea that this is now, Bitcoin is the hope for really changing the paradigm from really changing the system is, is unbelievable, right? Mm -hmm. And as we're slowly learning, you know, with the whole fiasco of FTX, you know, some people on the surface are like, oh, it's dead, you know, this is over. Um, but in reality, this is the best thing that could have happened. Imagine if if the House of Cards was continued to be to be propped up in a way that FTX becomes you know too big to fail, right? They they had they had the right strategy by lining the right pockets and and um, moving forward with regulators and politicians that that would give them credibility um, and really allow this thing to be built on air. And so the fact that it came down when it did, I mean, that's just a, the biggest blessing ever. I mean, look at that. They were, they were all based on, on fraud and this fake token that, that, um, that people get excited about when they think of crypto. Um, but it was, it, it fell and we're lucky that it did when it did, because, you know, what happened last time a, a group collaborated and colluded in Jekyll Island, you know, we got the, the fiat system. So I, I think it's a it's a huge blessing that that this came out when it did and sure it caused hurt and that's terrible for for you know for individuals that lost it but I think the the vast majority were were large you know more more um, bigger money institutions that were investing in this in hopes of getting a piece of the the controlled you know um, strategy here and being on the the inside. Um, and so I think we're just lucky that it happened the way it did. And that, I mean, look at what's coming out. You've, I'm sure you've heard all the stories of the fallout, not only just FTX being a, a fraud, but all the other things that of connections to regulators and, mm -hmm. and folks that are, that are really, um, you would think are, are supposed to be looking for our best interests. But how can you say that's true when now you got, you know, the, the congressional committee that's, that's leading the investigation is now um, is was was meeting with with SBF regularly, right? So people are starting to see that that this is this is deeper than than it looks and it it's perceived. Um, and you know you see the the, the Bitcoin coming off exchanges um, in record record amounts, and it's just it's really cool to have this tool that you can literally say "f you," I'm done. And I'm opting out and, and look at the crunches that are going to happen once, once that there's less liquidity, right? And there's debts to be paid. Um, there's still obviously a, a lot of unknown with, with uh, um, Genesis and, and um, DCG, but, but man, it's, it's, it's really cool. I, I know there's a lot of hurt, but, um, but it's through these, these difficulties that it, this, it just grows stronger, mm -hmm. right? It becomes less fragile. And, uh, and it's just great to see, you know, 
I, I mean, I share that sentiment exactly, but like anyone who's not a Bitcoiner would just think you're a crazy person, right? Because you're, you know, you're seeing all this carnage and you're like, it's just so great to see. But I mean, it's inevitable, right? So what are you going to do? I mean, th this is just what happens uh, when you encounter the immovable object that is Bitcoin. And, and like I said, you know, everyone tries to act like it's not what it is or treat it differently or treat it the way things used to be treated. And you're going to get wrecked doing that. And it seems to be the case that People have to get wrecked over and over and over and over again before they learn that this is something altogether different. And you need to adjust your mental frameworks, how you want to you know, act, how you want to be an entrepreneur or provide value in the world uh, and conform to it because it's not going to conform to you. You know, I saw, uh, you probably saw uh, that Travis talk about how his fund got uh, blown up. Yeah. And, you know, and then there's this video, I don't know when it was from, but he was basically saying how like, you know, they wanted to get more AUM under management. And like, you can't really sell just being like a Bitcoin custodian, right? Because like people will just buy it from an exchange and custody it themselves or buy the ETF or something. So you got to make it a little bit more spicy, you know? So we, we got all these shit coins on and then, then you can be a shit coin manager and then people are going to pay you because they don't know anything about that shit. And so you're the one that knows it. And so, you know, you're the expert they have to pay. And that's how you get more, you know, funds, you know, AUM in your fund. And I think he said something like he had the 1% allocation of Bitcoin. And then I guess all their stuff was, was custodied with FTX and they got blown up. And it's like, man, when are you going to learn? <laughs> when I are you going to learn? That's, that's what the system is. Like it, it incentivizes greed and, and the next best thing and, and, you know, opportunities and, and trying to outperform and, just that's just the reality of the the financial world right especially these folks who are are trying to look for return they get bought into this rat race of of hey how am i going to how am i going to create more value but the reality is you can't create value right it has to it has to you have to accumulate it over time and if you're going to be taking these high risk bets that you know people oh ftx it's they they have a stadium they have a, an arena they have all these oh, naming rights they have politicians right and it's like, oh, they're, they're too big to, you know, nothing's going to happen. And you, you start to have cognitive dissonance of, of like, oh, they, 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 they can't fail. And, um, and then you get caught up in the opportunity to, to get rich and, and get more money and attract more investors. And, and then the reality is you got to come to some kind of basis, right? And that's where Bitcoin comes in of the only one that actually provides, you know, true value um, that's secured by energy right over history over since humankind began it, it was you know and, and the, the the invention of currency it was typically backed by some sort of value and that was work you know we're essentially transacting our our effort and energy in some way for for money and now we're able to do so and store it like i love the concept that that bitcoin is a financial battery because it's the only way that you can accumulate money. Like you can't undo any of the hashing that was used to create any of that electricity. It's stored in this, this digital virtual currency that can be verified. And there's no undoing any of that, right? So mm -hmm. all that energy that was spent is accumulating um, and continues to build value. And, you know, there's volatility, but in the long term, you know, I think truth wins out. Well, amen to that. And I agree. It's just, it seems to me so indicative that people are still living in the fiat paradigm 
uh, when when they engage in all this risky stuff with shit coins and and everything else. You know, it's some version of rent seeking, really. And you're you're trying to capitalize on people's ignorance and all that kind of stuff. Whereas once you enter the Bitcoin paradigm, I mean, things, the, the, your whole relationship and understanding of value begins to change. And I think it, you know, must be said that when you encounter something that's so unchanging, um, I think the only possible response, in what I alluded to a few minutes ago, is that you have to change because it's the one, mm. it's the one that, that can't. And, you know, th I think that's what instills the humility that we often talk about. It's because you have to humble yourself before this thing and, and realize that it's you who has to conform how, to how this thing operates and how this thing is emerging in the world. Because it's going to be, let's say, the dominant economic force, the dominant determinant of economic activity. And if you don't do that, you'll probably get, you, you know, you'll probably crash up against the rocks of it at some point, you know, because you've, you've chosen a different approach. But if you do, you, you start to develop this humility and you start to you know think about how do I really want to constitute my relationship to this thing? And how do I want to create value in this world that this thing is, is bringing about? And I think it, it seems to inspire very different approaches. You know, you don't have, well, like in the Bitcoin space, like anyone who's, uh, you know, a rent seeker or a charlatan or, you know, full of shit and that kind of stuff. I mean, that stuff gets snuffed out really quickly. You know, people. Yeah. This this space seems to be very intent on identifying value and and rewarding genuine humble value, and you know, discarding or at the very least criticizing uh, anything other than that. And I think that's great because, well, I think that's the best way to find the truth of of any form of value, right? Is to have that type of approach to assessing it. Um, but it's gonna, you know, it's gonna take time. And again, I think this process will probably repeat, you know, even if we go up the next cycle or however it transpires, um, there'll be another cohort of people that try to, uh, you know, do this whole thing again and act like they're better than Bitcoin or they know more, there's the next big thing or whatever. But one, one last thing I wanted to mention was your point about hope is so apt, right? Because and this was my condition, my state as a gold bug before. It's like, it's not a very, there's no, there's no real hope. I mean, you're just kind of, you're like, well, there's nothing else to do. So I'll hold some gold. And if shit really hits the fan, then I guess I'll be okay. I'm not really sure that like, you know, Joe down the street who sells bread is going to accept gold coins, like, you know, bullets or, or dried food or whatever would probably be a, a better medium of exchange in those environments. But you know, whatever, what are you, what are you going to do? This is what people do. And now with Bitcoin, it's such a hopeful, productive, positive solution. And I think that's just invigorating a whole generation of people, um, you know, the so-called Bitcoiners, that it's really bringing people to life, you know, because because when you when you there's a nihilism that's induced when you're living in a system that you disagree with and you can't see any solution to. Of course, yeah. that's going to induce nihilism because you, you just throw up your hands. You're like. Well, what am I going to do about it? There's no way around this. So like, I'll just get my kicks. I'll carve out my own little niche, whatever. But, and, and I think that's so many people, I mean, I, nearly everybody I think is kind of victim to that in some capacity, but when you see a genuine solution to the biggest problems, I just think it brings you alive. Like it makes you, it expands your horizons so dramatically. And as we're saying, it, it delivers a sense of clarity on so many things but now you just end up like now the task is trying to figure out what is it you want to pursue 
in this new emerging world? What is the thing that's most meaningful to you? And how can you bring the most value into the world? You know, how you can, how can you contribute, you know, what are your, your greatest strengths or, or the things that you're most capable of that, that you can contribute? And um, that is so, such a profound impact on just how you think, how you see the world, how you see yourself, your day-to-day -day life, how you wake up in the morning, how you treat yourself, how you treat the people in your life. Like it influences everything. And the fact that it is actually happening. Well, I mean, it's why I love doing these conversations with people like yourself, because I get to just see, you know, and hear from people in all different places, you know, with no like massive following, you know, no name recognition, but just people out there for whom this is real, you know, this, this yeah. impact or this effect is happening in them. And it's so consistent. And man, yeah. like, and, and, and I guess my, my point in saying that is like, how can you not uh, respect and devote everything to that? And, and how can you not cherish that? How can you look at that and be like, nah, I want to try to make two and 20 on a bunch of shit coins. Like the, the former is so much more rich and beautiful and important and truthful. And you're fucking around playing fiat gains and trying to rip people off because what? Because, you know, you want more money than you want genuine good to emerge in the world through you and, you know, and, ha and have everyone have the same ability to access that, you know, amongst other things. I mean, we could go on with the superlatives with Bitcoin, but it's just, it's so crazy to me that people choose the shitty fiat games versus this just tremendous phenomenon that's emerging that's so deeply meaningful to so many people. So, you know what? I, I, I am, I say this as a Bitcoin financial maximalist, but I see the appeal to altcoins and other applications of, of tokens or, or currencies or blockchain. Um, but the problem is, you know, human nature is inherently greedy. And so when, when these new tokens arrive that, that maybe have altruistic, you know, um, goals of, of helping uh, advance society in a different way, you can't really, I feel like that has to all be put on hold until we have consensus in the financial paradigm, which is by far the most important one, right? And that's what Bitcoin offers because the system right now is so corrupt. So when someone, some good, incredible innovator entrepreneur comes up with this idea of how to use blockchain, which I think there's many applications for, that I think, you know, tokenomics could be a rational uh, conversation and, and discussion and justification could be made. But the, the reality is human nature is going to always try to be greedy and maximize, you know, return. So they're going to make sacrifices for the short term in these altcoins, not recognizing that we need to first establish a solid base in the financial monetary paradigm, which is Bitcoin, right? Because I, I think there will be applications for for, um, you know, for smart contracts and stuff like that. But, um, but until, you know, we're never going to get rid of the, the human condition of greed and wanting to make more money, that it first has to come with, with, with financial change, right? And monetary change that has been historically impossible. Now that we have this avenue, until that's established, I, I, I don't have any confidence in, in the altcoins or the shitcoins. Um, even if the, the a rational justification could be made for them until we, until Bitcoin gets a much stronger adoption, you know, in the worldwide economy. Do you not? So are you saying that you think there will be applications 
like not on Bitcoin? You think there'll be, I don't know, quasi monies, tokens that are legitimate, not on Bitcoin in the future? I don't know, because I know the, um, you know, Helium, for example, is a, is a coin that I don't know how the, there has to be some kind of tighter peg between Bitcoin and um, some of the solutions that I potentially maybe see an opportunity for. Um, because the telecom is, is one thing that, that is very uh, monopolized in this country, right? Mm. And so if, how do you incentivize the opportunity to create a opt-out for telecom? And I think that's, um, you know, in the vein of what, what Helium was trying to do. And I'm, 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 I'm just speaking on this because I, uh, what's his face, made a comment about it, Bill Ackman. And um, I just think it, those things will fail because we, we haven't firmly established the, the king, right? Which is Bitcoin. Yeah. And after that, I think there might be opportunity. I'm, I'm, this is very loosely held for me um, that other tokens be used. But I think the ones in the near term that aren't uh, supporting the Bitcoin ecosystem in some way, and I, I'm not sure what that exactly looks like are going to fail. Um, but there, you know, in, in theory, the, the idea of incentivizing a new network that, that you can communicate through in a distributed fashion is a powerful one. Um, sure. But, but, but why wouldn't but, you use the strongest incentive, which is the dominant money though? Like you, you could integrate Bitcoin into other communications and all sorts of different networks. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with Keep, but that's just a very basic, you know, uh, re recent one where they, you know, mm -hmm. use doing video conferencing through hole punch technology. I don't know much about it, but, you know, you can send sats back and forth. And I, I think that will be the direction things go. Like all sorts of different applications will be built for communications and information and value transfer over the internet. And sats will be the currency for doing so. I think all of these people that are saying, you know, we need a token to bootstrap the incentives for the network. They're just trying to print their own money again. They're reintroducing seniorage. They're pre-mining the shit. And ultimately, if, if they're, it's like, it's like intranet kind of, right? Like if your token is only good in your network, but there's another token outside of your network that's good for all networks or more networks, which one is going to have the, the more powerful incentive? And so why not just integrate that one rather than starting money again from scratch? 100%. And that's probably what's going, how it's going to pan out. I guess the, and that, the, the, the coupling between, um, between these infrastructures and Bitcoin is the key. And I think, like I said, the, it's, it's going to fail when you're trying to use that as, as a, a way of propping up the value of something, right? Creating this token. So these technologies and lightning and sats, um, and integration in ways that are probably beyond my understanding are probably the solution to it. Um, I'm just saying that that the the ideas behind some of these is good. It's just their their attempt to fund it in a way is kind of going back to the whole fiat. Let's let's create something out of nothing. Um, so I don't. I I think what you're saying exactly is the way it's going to play out. 
um, of, but it, there's got to be that tether and support of the the king ecosystem, which is incorruptible, and that is Bitcoin. Yeah, and I, I think this goes back to being humble, right? Like I do think there will be the ability to integrate economic incentives and payments into every form of protocol and network and all that kind of stuff on the internet. And that will be Bitcoin. And that is the only rational thing to do. But the humble part is not doing it before it's ready. Like you may want to, you know, to build the world computer in 2017, but you know, there's an order of events here and there's a building on, you know, the proper foundations and perhaps like, I think it's all going to occur in its due course. And I, I think that is what's happening with Bitcoin. But I just, you know, so many people, as you said, I mean, there is there is some uh, ignorance, be it willful or not, where people engage in this stuff because they, they genuinely think this is the way to bootstrap their new approach to doing something, right? Um, and then there's a lot of maliciousness as well. But I, I just think the best, you know, approach or heuristic or or principle here is to say that, it's unethical to create a new money basically at this stage and satoshi did it and and the way he did it was you know basically as good as it could be he did it anonymously before anybody knew you know how to take advantage of it basically and he stepped away not taking any benefit for himself right and if anyone else out there is willing to do that as well then have at it the, the you know the economic uh well, the head start that Bitcoin has on any of that stuff will just make it irrelevant in the course of time. But no one's willing to do that because they all want to generate, you know, an, an economic gain for themselves. You know, so like the, there's there's this like I, the reason why I say willful ignorance is because you come up with this great new idea to do whatever, you know, X for Y, you know, revolutionize telecoms or whatever it is. And you you convince yourself that you need to create a new money to bootstrap, you know, the incentive structure of the network. And part of the reason why you convince yourself of that, in my opinion, is because it's beneficial to you because you're the one who's starting it and you'll be able to, you know, buy up, mine, whatever, a bunch of, allocate a bunch of the coins originally. And now you've become a central banker, basically. You've, you know, the, the, the whole, the irony of it all is that the whole philosophy of shitcoining is that everyone gets to create their own money. Whereas the whole philosophy of Bitcoin is that nobody gets to create money. And that's the, what's so revolutionary about it. And so I, I just think, again, I mean, Matt, Matt O'Dell nailed it, right? Stay humble, sack sats. And people, yeah. I think, fail to fully interpret or internalize the first part, which is stay humble in relation to how you think this should proceed and how fast it's proceeding. Like it's something incredibly important is being built here. And it's probably not going to happen on the timeline that you think is possible. Now that, that message could be interpreted as like anti-innovation, of course. Right. But I I'm all for innovation, but I'm also for recognizing the innovation that has happened here with money and not, you don't need to create a new money. You don't need to become another central banker. And more, most importantly, you don't need to get people wrecked in the process because there's a lot of people out there that don't have the same understanding that you or I or these people that are building these projects have, and they're easily misled. And, you know, in a sense, that's their own responsibility and that's their own, pro you know, problem. Like they should educate themselves so they're not misled. Uh, but at the same time, you shouldn't mislead people and you should, you should educate yourself sufficiently so that, you know, in your actions, you're not accidentally misleading someone. And I think that's where a lot of the, the shitcoin people uh, fall down. 
They don't, you know, a little bit of willful ignorance and a little bit of playing to their own incentives, a little bit of greed and a little bit not taking enough responsibility for educating themselves before they offer something to the world. So you, you said something that I want to double click on. You said it was the sequencing. I think that's so incredibly important to the, to the theme of what I was trying to say, probably not so eloquently, is that we need to establish Bitcoin first before these innovative things can happen, right? Because if you're trying to take on a telecom industry, like that's a huge risk. So who really wants to um, risk their Bitcoin in its infancy, you know, at, at 16K right now? on something that is likely to fail, right? And so I think when these all these things will start happening in a, in a way that's Bitcoin-centric, once it matures a little bit more, right, and that the value is, is recognized, right, the price discovery happens, and that it's, it's more widely adopted, then you could really start building out on top of it and taking those kind of risky bets versus something that, oh, I can buy this speculative new token that was created out of nothing, um, but the but the but the reward would potentially be huge if it succeeds. So I think it's it's just a matter of sequencing, right? When once there's price discovery and you recognize that, and Bitcoin's value is reflected reflective of of its um, of its adoption of its uh, of the energy put into it, then we'll start seeing you know the people be more willing to take those risky bets on you know, using that as the central, as the core currency and the core value proposition to build out these new technologies and this new infrastructure. Sure. I mean, so there's two things, right? One, a, a lot of new technology and a lot of innovation can happen without an, you know, a, a, a native monetary incentive, right? Like you, you can build the next internet app or whatever, and you can either do it on fiat rails, which is not advisable, but right now you could, you could, you know, do it on Bitcoin rails and you could either have Bitcoin payments built in, or you could do something like podcasting 2.0. Like that's opening up a massive uh, opportunity space for new applications to integrate this, you know, frictionless ability to communicate and transfer value. And so, you know, that alone, there is so much innovation already right now able to happen with that capability that it currently exists. So like, but even without that, a lot of innovation can still happen without Bitcoin, but at, without an integration of Bitcoin. But as you say, like I agree, there's still a lot of long ways to go in Bitcoin's own adoption, right? And so I think, you know, that should be priority number one. And for a lot of people, you know, that's not sexy. It's like, well, I can't, again, I can't print my own money and make a hundred million dollars by, you know, whatever, working on Bitcoin or contributing to Bitcoin. You know, I don't know if you saw the, there was a tweet going around, I think BTC Sessions put it out, but the bankless guys, you know, Kobe, I don't, again, I don't know if any of this is true, but he said the bankless guys were charging like 250K a month for like a, a shitcoin sponsorship on their show. And, you know, all the Bitcoin podcasters were, were like, you guys get paid? You know, that kind of shit. Because, you know, even those of us who run a few ads definitely ain't getting that kind of cheese. Um, so it's not, it's, it's not as sexy, but it is what it is, right? Like, you know, what are you here for? Are you here for the principles or are you here for the fiat gains? And, um, so I, I I think there's a lot of work to be done still in Bitcoin. I also think there's a lot of you know opportunity for innovation that hasn't yet been tapped yet, even as things uh, exist. But to your point, um, the opportunity cost of investing Bitcoin right now is tremendous, right? 
because mm-hmm. you know Bitcoin is still basically at the bottom of its S curve. And so, as far as you know, the circular Bitcoin investment economy, if we want to call it that, I mean, most people are going to default to saying, "No, the opportunity cost is too great. I'm going to hang on to my Sats and just wait." But at a point in time in the future, whether it's 10 or 20 and 30, 30 years where, you know, Bitcoin appreciates, you know, the purchasing power appreciation of Bitcoin is, you know, roughly equal to productivity, you know, so let's say it's 5% a year, 10%, whatever it is, um, then I, I think there's going to be an explosion of innovation and investment because, you know, people are going to say, yeah, I, I want to see these things in the world. I want to take a little bit extra, extra risk with my capital. You know, I want to invest in a good team and a good project. And then we'll see just like the, the, the type of innovation or the scale of innovation that will happen in that period will probably, you know, more than make up for the decade or two of relatively little investment because people were just kind of the, the, the network was Bitcoin was becoming distributed and the network was just kind of getting going. And so, again, I just think it's about patience, humility. And we don't even, you know, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day because the things of the greatest value will emerge and they'll stick and they'll be successful and all the other garbage will will fall away. Uh, mm-hmm. I, again, and and I, I actually don't, I'll probably sound like a horrible person here, but I don't have that much sympathy for people that, that get wrecked by it because I do think it's primarily their own responsibility. But that being said, you know, if I think it's, every individual's responsibility to limit the degree to which they participate in, in people getting wrecked. And for those people that promote, you know, all this bullshit, it's, you know, being more educated about what's going on and being more ethical with their behavior and scrutinizing their plans more carefully first so that they don't wind up in a situation where they're leading people astray because, you know, there's obviously a shitload of example, you know, FTX is a prime example of that now. And, I don't know. Even, maybe, maybe this is a way for people to understand that, like in an un- unregulated regulated system like Bitcoin, like where there's no nobody coming to save you, you need to be a lot more careful about greed and malice and all that kind of stuff, right? Don't trust, verify, like that. Take that to heart because mm-hmm. there's going to be a lineup of people out there wanting to screw you. And in this new world, they know FDIC coming to save you if the if the bank goes under, if they right. fuck around with your savings, it's all gone. And so this is this is the intense degree of personal responsibility that is required of people to take if they want to engage in this new world. And that is something that's so foreign to people because in the modern world, we've relinquished so much of our responsibility to all sorts of different things. We've delegated it elsewhere, anywhere but ourselves. And now this thing is, is saying, you know, you can have all the benefits. You can bring that truth into your life, but you need to take a commensurate amount of responsibility in order to do so. And, you know, the Bitcoiners are the first cohort that are saying, all right, let's do it. And it's tough and it's challenging. It's daunting sometimes, but the the rewards are incredibly like worthwhile. But a lot of people aren't will, aren't yet willing to take that step and they want to have that in between where they have their cake and eat it too. Like, oh, give me the gains and give me the, all the excitement. Give me all that stuff. But no, I don't want to, I don't want any of that responsibility stuff yet. And the, the, the simple truth that they're coming to understand is that's not an option that's available. You're only going to get wrecked. That's the road to perdition, you know? And um I love that. I guess. And and what I really like about the Bitcoin community is there's no, everyone keeps each other in check. There's no like unified, uh, you know, stance of, oh, hey, this is Bitcoin. No, they're pursuant of truth. They'll be, they'll make contrarian takes. They'll, they'll play devil's advocate and in pursuit of truth. And uh, to your point about the bankless guys, I never really got, um, 
good vibes. You know, it was more like they were trying to push something. And, you know, just like all the other big bit boy or whatever, all these other promoters, you know, the truth's coming out. Yeah. And, um, and that's just like the beauty of, of this community of pursuing truth and, and holding each other accountable, you know, for some of the even, you know, quote unquote, uh, Bitcoin folks who have kind of veered off the path a little bit, you know, it's humbling, you know, and, 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 and you're held accountable for those decisions that you make and those things that you promote or sponsor are sponsored by except sponsorships from. And it, it helps build that system of trust, helps build that system of, of strength and of anti-fragility because, you know, those folks who invest in FTX, I'm sure they're recognizing now where their mistakes were and they're being held accountable through Twitter. I think Twitter is just an incredible tool um, of like holding people accountable and having that track record, keeping the receipts. Um, it's just powerful. And I think people, you know, that at the top, that are either going to are either accepting truth and pursuing it, or are going to be convinced of it very humbly. Um, and so I, I just think it's a, it's an incredible tool and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's an evolving, evolving into strength, uh, which I think is, is very encouraging to, to, to see the way it's playing out. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and, you know, all these, so many of these folks now are like decrying the whole industry, you know, like, what are we even doing here? And I can't believe all this stuff. And, you know, all of us Bitcoiners are just like, what are you talking about? We've been telling you this is going to happen for like a decade. I mean, this is, we've been screaming at you. This is what all the laser eye and, you know, all the stuff that you referred to as toxic. I mean, this is what it was all about. And, and, you know, and now you're crying because exactly what you were told was going to happen a hundred, you know, million times is now happening. It's, mm -hmm. you can't help, but have a, have a little chuckle at it uh, and yeah, enjoy, enjoy the carnage. Speaking of Twitter, it just creates this, this very weird loop of, of truth of even other areas, you know, Bitcoiners, you know, I'll take a Bitcoiners word on a topic that's completely, you know, separate from, from Bitcoin and monetary policy over some other, you know, ch blue check. Um, and it's just so powerful how it's created this, this sense of, of pursuit of, of things of uncovering you know, lies and deception. I, I love the way Elon Musk put it of, I think he said something that sunlight is the best disinfectant when he was uh, first looking to buy, um, to buy Twitter. Mm -hmm. And it's so true because, you know, as we've seen with all the censorship and bullshit that was going on, um, a lot of things have been suppressed. And I think we're, we're entering a period of change. I was just talking to some friends the other day of how I don't, I don't typically use social media, Twitter I do, but um, some of the other stuff, they're like, it's crazy how much is going on on, on, on Instagram now of people talking about, you know, health things and things that are going on behind the scenes and really exposure of truths. And I, I, I think that's largely been driven and opened up because of what's happening with Twitter. You know, the other, the other um, platforms are recognizing that what, what, where people are gravitating to truth and they're trying to lax up their their own policies to to facilitate that or else they're going to lose traffic right so i think we're entering a really interesting and awesome period of of transparency and um or at least more transparency than we've historically had and um, i'm just excited how how bitcoin is also tuning into that that um to that uh that notion of of everything needs to be questioned everything needs to be um 
picked apart and uh, and investigated from first principles again, right? From from understanding what what the what the causes, and now that that we're really letting up on the censorship, um, truth is is really getting out in all sorts of aspects, whether it's you know the whole seed oils thing or or the fact of how beef is so nutritious, you know, and valuable and, and how the, the sentiment of like whole grains and stuff is, is, was more trendy than it was based in science and, and what the biological needs of the body are. Mm. Um, so it's just, it's just like a really cool, um, how it connects you with a community that's, that's looking to improve and get better in, in all aspects, not just, not just Bitcoin and the financial system. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I do think that is part of the process of pursuing truth. Like, I don't really think you can be genuinely on that journey without being updated as you go, you know, as you kind of zero in on different forms of truth. Like you're kind of the premise of embarking on that is saying like, I'll change when I'm confronted with truth in whatever domain or capacity, like I'm, I'm willing to do that. I see the value, like the redemptive capacity of integrating truth when I encounter it, or at least a greater truth than I previously held. So I'll change if I encounter it. And then, you know, you just keep doing that and you wind up, you know, a year, two, five years down the road and you realize like, wow, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm pretty different than I was back then because I've, you know, as a result of being on that journey and being receptive to being changed or upgrading your thinking when confronted with, you know, better evidence or more, you know, what seems to be greater logic or rationale or more truthful information. And I agree. I mean, it's, it's invigorating. It's so cool to have, I mean, my personal orientation was always kind of like that, but I was, I just felt very kind of alienated. And now that um, seemingly there's a ever growing culture of people that are kind of oriented the same way that are asking those same questions. And to your point, you know, like you'll take a Bitcoiner's word, you know, you're more likely to take a Bitcoiner's word than, you know, perhaps someone else, you, you know, some blue check mark on Twitter. And I think that's because like you already, just by virtue of knowing that they're a hardcore Bitcoin, you kind of know you line up on a lot of values and you, you kind of know you're seeing things in a similar way and that you're, uh, you're approaching things in a similar way. And so if they've taken the time to come to a conclusion on something, you're probably fairly comfortable that like, had you taken a similar amount of time to investigate it, you probably would have come to something of a similar conclusion because you're, you're looking at it through a more similar lens than you probably are with the blue check mark. And, you know, and, the whole discourse in Bitcoin land, like, of course, you know, we'll overshoot the mark and we'll get things wrong. I mean, it's an ongoing discussion, right? And uh, that's what I love about it because, you know, there's there's usually pretty entrenched views on both sides and people like go for it. And there's a, this, this ongoing vigorous debate about whatever particular issue. And through that process, we, we continue to just kind of triangulate in on, on truth. And then we get to upgrade our own thinking about that. And, you know, the, same is true in the domain of understanding Bitcoin itself, right? Like you hear Sailor on a new rip or, or Gigi or any of the people that you really respect and you hear them articulate an aspect of this in, in a way that you hadn't considered before. And then you just like, cool, like click, you, you put it into your mind, you chew on it for a while or, you know, you, you, you know, next time you're having a quiet moment, you think about it some more and then it just becomes part of your understanding of the thing and on you go, right? On uh, Further on down the rabbit hole, as you try to recapitulate everything and it and it kind of makes sense right like you were saying that a lot of so-called normies are waking up to just how much they've been lied to or how much falsity there is out there i mean doesn't it make sense that if everything is predicated on immoral unethical 
you know, uh, uh, dis dishonest, yeah, behavior and motives. Like if, 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 if we, if we go back to that premise of like those things being an integral part of the money and the money being basically what determines the structure of, you know, everything downstream from science to academia, politics, finance, economics, media, everything, then wouldn't you kind of expect that like when people were starting to step outside of that, when people were starting to realize that there's another fundamental you know, truth, a fundamental incentive that's, that's orienting things that they start to kind of pull themselves out of the morass or the fog of that, you know, untruth and kind of, you know, maybe wander through the forest, wander through the desert for a few years and then find themselves again. I mean, I, I feel like, I mean, I feel like that is to be expected. And, and so like, I think that's often why we call it clown world, right. Or upside down world. Cause it's almost like perfectly inverted, right. You're going from you're going from a fundamental basis of dishonesty and corruption and unethical incentives or, or bad incentives or whatever to one where it's fundamentally honest, where it's fundamentally incorruptible, where the incentives are fundamentally true, where, or the incentives are fundamentally, you know, pristine, let's say. Um, and that, I mean, that's just seems, seems like a 180. seems like a complete inversion of what we've had. And so you'd kind of expect like, like we said at the beginning, everything to kind of be not only recapitulated, but, you know, in, a, in many cases, opposite to what we thought, you know, and th this is why Bitcoiners seem so contrary and probably why, you know, you were, it was a kind of easy layup for you to come into Bitcoin because that's certainly the impression, right? A lot of people outside of Bitcoin land think Bitcoiners are a bunch of crazy people, right? And, you know, the, but contrarian is definitely one of them. And I think if your worldview is predicated on, the old model of all the institutions being legitimate and this is how this is how things should be and you come across a group come across a group of people that are suggesting that all those institutions need to be upgraded and that they're you know based on false premises and that you know everything's going to look quite differently well then those are two fairly divergent worldviews and of course they're going to come into conflict you know at least in the in the realm of ideas and good because you know that's how we legitimize, I mean, we have to subject these ideas to that kind of rigor because that's how ultimately we legitimize them. I think the economic reality of Bitcoin is just going to continue to assert itself, but obviously we exist in the social world as well. And in the social world, you know, occasionally we have to defend our ideas. And I think it's good that we're, we're all like, it's almost like um, Bitcoin Twitter is like a, a ludus, you know, like the old gladiator training um, facility. Where like everyone's just like really sharpening their their swords and getting you know good at their their arguments and all that kind of stuff, so that when they go out, like they they're ready to engage in in this dialogue. And um, I don't know. Right. I, think that's, that's, I think that's how the culture continues to grow and emerge. Hundred percent. And and you learn you learn about the mistakes that you make and you reflect and and then you you come back to the core, which is which is truth in Bitcoin and and it's just like a, a continual evolution that, that, like I said, I keep repeating myself, but it just strengthens and it evolves into something that's less fragile. And with people's education about it, um, it just, it just continues to grow and, and others become more convinced and convicted and, and bring others into the loop. And that's how, that's how it grows. So I, I think it's, it's awesome. Have you, I mean, it's kind of a personal question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but you know, have you since 2017, when you got into this, have you noticed any sort of 
you know, changes in perspective or habits or lifestyle or any of that stuff? Yeah, I would say becoming much, and I don't know how much of it is causation versus correlation, but becoming so much more of a minimalist. And it's like, you don't need the things that are that signal, you know, wealth or signal um, prosperity or signal, you know, some sort of, of, of status, right? I've become much more um, anchored in, in education and understanding, right? And that's led me to be like, you know, I, I like to have nice things, but they're, they're, they're not for show, right? It's not, a, it's not a vanity thing. It's more for function or, or enjoyment of life. And I, I've become so much of a minimalist that like, I don't, I don't want material things. I don't need material things in so far as they, um, they promote my lifestyle or, or encourage me to, or enable me to, to, to enjoy life with friends and family and, and help expose them to, to truths. Like I, I don't use social media anymore. And I, 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 it, it annoys me to be part of conversations that are so irrelevant, like <laughs> even, even sports, like I, I don't like besides, you know, I'm a big Buffalo Bills fan, but besides that, like, I don't care what, what's going on in the sports world. Right. Mm. Like, cause that's, that's not important. It's fun to watch a game every once in a while, but, but it's like, it's not meaningful. It's not improving my lifestyle. It's not, uh, it's not a core to, to the, to the important things. So I would say that Bitcoin's really helped shift my focus into things that matter, both materially and, and just kind of mentally and, and my understanding of things. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's been weird. I, I like that question um, because it has, it has changed my mindset in a way that like material things don't matter. It's more about educating myself and educating those around me and helping others grow um, through the process. Do you have any thoughts on what it is that's inspired that change? Like, you know, what process is at play or, you know, any, any ideas of why that's happened? Partially because of how the exposure of, you know, I mentioned since uh, Bitcoin and COVID have, have really made me understand things in a, from a more first principles and truth seeking way. Um, and that the injustices and the corruption and the just like the false, the, the just the fakeness of, of, of a lot of things have, have done that. And I think Bitcoin's been a large part of that, but also in my own personal journey of recognizing, you know, what is life about? Is it about, you know, just making money and, and, uh, and, you know, serving my own gratifications of in the moment in the here and now? or really leaving a bigger legacy and leaving an impact on people. Right. Um, so a little bit about myself. I, I was, uh, I started, uh, as a software engineer, um, my graduate degree was in, uh, computer science and I got a job at Amazon and it was fulfilling, but, uh, in the beginning, but through that process, like, even though I was working on, on software that, that touched millions of lives directly, um, I was doing immaterial things, right? I was moving around widgets. I was trying to make it a little bit more user-friendly. Um, but, but 
it was immaterial, right? Like I would reduce the, the, the load time by a couple milliseconds, <laughs> but it wasn't um, like, who cares? Right. Mm. And the money was good. And, and you kind of live a lifestyle that, that kind of makes, gives you golden handcuffs. Um, but I, I started on a journey of questioning, you know, what it is that I want to do with my life. And so um, I started volunteering a couple of years ago uh, at a youth shelter. And I, I saw how disconnected, you know, the, the young people were who were, you know, the at risk and, and um, didn't really have a support system of family or friends that really helped them live a fulfilling life, right? They were dependent on the system. They were dependent on the paychecks. They were dependent on, on the provisions of, of food, housing. And I, through that process, like I, I developed a heart to help the disadvantaged, the underserved. And so what I ended up doing is starting a, a nonprofit called Reach Out to work with these young people and help them establish you know, independence. And I, I believe that Bitcoin will play a large part in that of helping educate them to get their financial kind of um, future in order, right? And helping educate them about, you know, what it, what money is and how to build equity. And because um, right now, you know, in this fiat system, you can't really trade your time for money and live a life that, that you want to live, right? You're beholden to, to the system. And uh, I just want to give back to the community in a way that's meaningful and that, that when I'm gone, you know, that these, the, the, the lives that I've touched will, will improve them, but they also reach back and um, reach out to others. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's been quite the journey of, of, you know, seeking truth, understanding that there's corruption, that there's a way out and just really spending my time in a way that's, that's valuable and that, that really changes lives. Um, well, that's that awesome, it, man. That's yeah. very, very commendable. And, you know, it's interesting. The, I ask because, you know, it's, it's such a common thing that, that I hear <clears throat> and I usually kind of umbrella characterize it as you know, some, for some reason being involved in Bitcoin, just reorients your value hierarchy, let's say, you know, how, you yep. know, how you determine what's valuable in your life. And it goes from being material to the, the, uh, the immaterial, right. Things like love and relationships and, uh, you know, goodwill and family and nature and health, like these things ascend the hierarchy and, and, all the bullshit kind of drops away. And the interesting question there is kind of why. And I think one influence is perhaps uh, there's an opportunity cost there. You're like, well, do I want to buy the Lambo or do I want to stack more sats? Well, I want to stack more sats. But I think that's even, I don't think that accounts for too much of it. Um, I do, you know, another possibility is that, you know, you you want to preserve your Bitcoin as long as possible. You drop your time preference so you're not, you're not getting the satisfaction of material gain as much. And I think it's just natural for your, your brain to say, well, from where should I derive value if I'm not getting it from all these traditional sources that I would have otherwise gotten it? If, I, if I'm you know committed to not buying a lot of shit, well, where am I getting, you know, where am I getting the satisfaction of value from? And then maybe you kind of expand your horizon and you look at it more deeply and you say, oh, I like... I can see value in these immaterial things. I can see value in these 
charitable things. I can see value in these things that I had neglected before that are actually free, that don't cost anything, but are tremendously valuable. I think that's part of the process too. And I also just think that somehow the the qualities that seem to be that seem to characterize Bitcoin, that seem to be imbued in it some way, which you know, I think truth and fairness and and freedom. I think these are you know fundamental to Bitcoin, and I think that they are so fundamental end up kind of rubbing off on people, you know, or at least sending signals to people of of a similar kind. And these just over time kind of upgrade your perception in that way or tune it to valuing those things. And when you're when you're looking for those things out in the world, I mean, they're not to be found in you know the the, the expensive handbag. They're to be found in like human connection and human relationships. And they're to be found in how you feel about yourself. And they're to be found in how your body feels. And they're to, they're to be found in the degree of, you know, sovereignty and freedom you've established in your life. And then the things that become valuable end up being the things that foster that, you know, things that allow you to become more sovereign and more free and, and have more time to, to do the things that you enjoy or you find meaningful. And all that becomes more valuable. And, you know, that, and I'm sure much more is kind of wrapped up in this phenomenon that, again, happens to so many people I talk to where, you know, they get into Bitcoin, they start, you know, noticing these changes, the longer they're in, the more they're pronounced they are to the to the point where very similar to you, it's like a lot of that frivolous stuff drops away. A lot of those meaningless conversations, a lot of those old, you know, uh, you know, unproductive habits, let's say, just fall away. And the mind is more tuned to like trying to identify value and then trying to engage and amplify that value and meaning to the extent possible. And it's really interesting to, or it's really interesting, it's not the right word. It's, it's really uplifting to see the products of that. And I think it's, you know, we're just at the beginning of this, you know, what you just mentioned, you know, Bitcoiners seem to me to be incredibly charitable. Like I, if there's anyone that ever needs support, you know, people pile on, you know, on Twitter and financial support, and there's all sorts of projects being launched. Most of the time people are doing it, you know, without financial compensation, or they're even, you know, contributing their own finances to get it, to get these projects, social projects, community projects, that kind of stuff off the ground. And I think you only have the capacity to do that if you, if you feel secure and stable yourself. You know, and so a lot of Bitcoiners are only just kind of beginning to feel that way, kind of com coming out of the fiat system, reorienting their life and their career and all that kind of stuff and developing a greater sense of security over the future. Kind of, you know, they know they're going to be safe. They're not going to, they know they're going to be stable. And as a result, their resources become available to pursue the things that are most meaningful to them. And a lot of times it, it's helping others. And so, you know, I can imagine as this as everything proceeds here, you know, as the years go by, that there's going to be a tremendous amount of, it's not even just charity's too narrow, but, you know, there's going to be a tremendous amount of dedication to, you know, really meaningful causes by these people who are satisfied and fulfilled in themselves. And they want to expand that, that outward to people in their, in their lives or, or broadly in the world. And I, I think that's, well, I think it's beautiful, first of all, but you know, there's always this question like, well, if this if the state isn't there, who's going to take care of the people that fall through the cracks? You know, and my answer is often way fewer people are going to fall through the craps, cracks because we're going to have less theft, way more abundance. And there's just, you know, there's going to be far more opportunity in the world. So there'll be, you know, the less, less people to quote unquote take care of. And then there's going to be much more capacity for every individual 
to contribute and, and help take care of people, you know, in their locales, you know, in their communities or, or what have you. And um, yeah, your, your story just that made me think about that. And, you know, once, as I, once I start thinking about it, as I said, I think of so many um, just how generous Bitcoiners can be. And I, I think that's one, a result of this change in their perception of value and what's important in life, but it's also a change in their capacity to, uh, take care of themselves and how that stability emanates outward in, you know, into the benefit of other people's lives. Yeah. And, and I mean, your case in point of, of just spending all these hours of interviewing and, and getting the word out there, it's, 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 it's more about the education and bringing people into the loop, into the circle and into the know of how the system is broken and how there's an opportunity out. Um, and it's funny to just to kind of expand on the answer to your question um, my shift has gone, I feel like I've disconnected, um, my value or my perceived value of Bitcoin from its monetary price. Like I I'm unimpacted by <laughs> there's a price drop. Like uh, that's, that's, that doesn't impact me in the slightest. Right. It's, if anything, it's an opportunity to, to accumulate more, but, right. but just in that regard, like it's, it's no longer, uh, a financial asset that's that's the most valuable part of Bitcoin. It's it using it as a tool to really establish and teach and use that as the basis for for helping spark conversation of what's what's wrong with this world and what the solution is, right? Um, and I think that's going to be a big part of reach out of using that as as the tool to uh, to um, to educate people. And to your point of, you know, what, you know, what is the purpose and people are searching for meaning, I'll kind of very quickly share what the, what the long-term vision is uh, for reach out, but also the short-term vision in the short term, what I really want to do is work with, with young men who have been disenfranchised um, to, to become independent. And, you know, the system is such that it provides um, fish, but it doesn't teach anyone to fish, right? Like I've, I've been volunteering for a while and part of the experiences of learning how the system works has led me to, to start this nonprofit, specifically work with young people who, who build this, unintentionally build this sense of entitlement um, because of what they're given. And then it just creates a dependency. It creates a dependency that they're, they're, this is expected of them and it really takes away their dignity of, no, you can go out there and earn way more. You're so much more capable. You know, yeah. I, I kind of experienced that in the corporate world with golden handcuffs of, you know, it's just limiting you, you know, and I was very fortunate the way I was raised and, and um, the work ethic that my parents who immigrated here instilled in me. Um, but I really want to use that to, to help others. Um, and so the, the right now I'm working with, with, uh, with creating working on creating social enterprises to help them understand what it means to have equity and what it means to just work hard and put your mindset into something instead of just accepting, you know, handouts. And I think that's the most powerful thing that I can do as an individual and, and, and hopefully establish a organization that can scale my impact in such a way that that really empowers people uh, to, to really work towards, um, putting their efforts into a way that, that helps them expand and grow and help others expand and grow, right? Through building equity, through social enterprises and, and helping them to tease out what their talents are in a way that 
that creates independence. Um, so that's, that's kind of like my, my near term, but for the long term of reach out, what I want it to be is connecting people with, uh, with causes that they're passionate about. You know, so many, if you ask anyone about whether they would volunteer their time to do something, an organization or something, everyone will say, yeah. Right. But the gap between saying, yeah, and actually doing it is so large, not because the people don't want to do it, but there's just friction. You don't know, you don't know where to go. You don't know what you're going to be doing. You don't know what impact you're going to have. And all these things, all these, all these friction points prevent people from, from donating their time and their talent in a way that's meaningful, that's important, right? And so my long-term goal for Reach Out is to actually create a avenue for people to easily connect with, with causes that they're passionate about, right? There should be somewhere where I can go and easily uh, find a cause and organization where I could volunteer my time and talent to the greater good. And that doesn't exist right now in a way that's, that's, uh, that's intuitive, that's easy to use, and that's frictionless of, of connecting them with that cause. So the whole idea of reach out is long-term will be to create those connection points of, of someone who, yeah, I want to volunteer. Well, what's the easiest way to connect you to whatever cause or organization that you're passionate about? Um, but that's that's kind of the long term, and I've I'm brainstorming with ideas with a couple engineer uh, uh, former coworkers um, of how to build a system out like that. Um, but uh, but yeah, one step at a time. There's a lot going on with with what I'm I'm trying to do with youth today um, to help build their their tool toolkits to to really utilize the the things that they've been blessed with. Um, despite their their unfortunate circumstances, uh, you know, in, in the current day. Yeah, that's really cool. So what what kind of methods do you use to get them to, you know, discover their gifts, let's say, or or to assume more responsibility? And, and you know, like what, how do you, because I assume, like, am I, well, I don't know how to, am I right in assuming that there's a resistance by this group of people or are they generally very enthusiastic about the help that they're receiving? Like how, how do you get them to, you know, buy in basically? Well, well, it's really just, just giving them words of encouragement. I mean, it's so, it's so crazy. The other day I was walking by the, uh, the parking lot of one of the shelters and this kid had a, had a softball and a couple of gloves. And I just spent the time with him to just throw it in the alleyway. And he was after just five minutes or 10 minutes of, of throwing the ball and, and getting to asking some questions, you know, he's a, he's a regular at the shelter. Um, he was just so grateful. He was just so grateful for someone to stop and talk to him and bright kid, you know, um, that, 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 that didn't have that. Right. Like I was raised in a family where, it, you know, it was a very humble upbringing, I won't lie, but the work ethic was something that was incredible that was instilled in me for my parents. Um, and it was just like, you don't complain, you just do what you have to do and and you'll get what you need. But these kids, um, uh, you know, that uh, frequent these shelters, you know, either came out of the foster system or had broken family, broken households, and they didn't learn these things. 
And then they come into a system where everything's provided for them and there's no accountability. And the focus of all these organizations is to make them feel better versus mm. really get them to hold them accountable in a way that helps them grow and have dignity and have satisfaction and really have zest for life. Right. And so to answer your question, the, the pushback isn't there. It's, it's more um, a sense of hope of like, Oh, wow, just, I, I can do this. I can, um, you know, if, if I'm held accountable. So, and it's not all like that, you know, some have fallen victim to the system in a way that, that there's more entitlement, but my focus is there's no shortage of, of folks who of young people who want to grow, want to exceed um, in with the skill sets that they have, but they just never got those words of encouragement. It's all, you know, Oh, we'll give you this and we'll make you feel good. And, and we want to make sure that your feelings aren't hurt. Um, but they need that hard love. Right. And that's, what's missing from the welfare state today. And, you know, you know, you got UBI coming and all these things are inevitable, but, um, but, but creating opportunities for these kids to say, yeah, you can, you can accomplish whatever you want, you know, and give them a little bit of education to get them that jump start and that passion to, to, to put in the work. Right. So that's, that's, that's really my goal is to find the kids who want to help themselves and give them an opportunity. I mean, it's crazy how, how talented these kids are. Sometimes I'll, I'll do street outreach and there was a case where um, I approached this group and it was uh, clearly they were, you know, struggling and, and with, you know, addiction and stuff. But man, some of these conversations I have are like wild. You would never think that someone that's, that's sitting in this doorway or this alleyway um, of how much, how much education, how much knowledge they have, you know, through whatever medium that they use, uh, you know, Twitter or, or Reddit, but they don't have that path to get out of the system. They don't, they don't know what they need to do. Um, and so my current vision is right now I'm starting, I actually just went into verbal agreement with a coffee shop. And after sharing the story with, with the owner, he's like, listen, you got this full coffee shop to your disposal. Like, use this as the platform to train these kids um, and, and give them the basic skills that they need to, to, you know, carve out a path for themselves. Um, and my, one of my next goals is going to be to, I'm looking at some other spaces to potentially start a, a wraparound shelter where not only provides them housing, but a very structure that helps them um, take responsibility, take accountability in a way that, that the system doesn't really provide. That's incredible, man. Kudos uh, for doing that. You know, my interactions with, uh, you know, people like that underserved or, or in difficult situations, I've always just, the honesty has always been so uh, on display, I guess, you know, and because I think you can, if you're walking around in normie land, you know, whether it's at your job or wherever, like, everyone's always got kind of a facade going, you know, like everyone's repping their status or their job or who they, you know, whatever, like people are kind of, you know, they, they're trying to put on a face. Yeah, exactly. Put on, put on, put something on. And with, with people in difficult like situations, you know, be it homeless or in shelters or whatever, like, it's like, well, why am I going to put on it? I mean, it is what it is, right. I'm, I'm here. This is me. I'm in a situation. Like, why would I lie about anything? And I've always found the, 
just like blunt honesty, very uh, endearing when I've encountered uh, people like that. But, you know, it's, well, first thing, are you sprinkling in a little Bitcoin education, you know, with, with these youngsters? Like, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Mi Primero Bitcoin in El Salvador, but it's this like Bitcoin diploma program that they've, I think they just like maybe yesterday did. So they, they go through like a, a several week uh, program in, in one of the public schools. And then um, right now, this probably won't be the case for all of them, but as it's getting going, like a bunch of Bitcoiners go down to do their final exam. And the final exam is, you know, like setting up a wallet and a seed and, and restoring a wallet and make, doing a transaction and all this kind of stuff. And it's basically, them, you know, teaching them the basics of Bitcoin and custody and so that they can avail of that skill for themselves. And of course, they can teach their peers and, and be a, you know, be a source of uh, information or knowledge for their peers. And I just think, I mean, talk about economic empowerment. What could be more empowering than getting, so, you know, someone any at any age, but particularly a young person to like really understand and be confident enough to engage this tool and, you know, to bring into their life all the amazing things that we've been discussing throughout this conversation. So are you are you dabbling? Are you sprinkling in a little Bitcoin on on any of this? hundred percent, hundred percent. Actually, one of the uh, visions I have is for uh, for payment for compensation as as part of this like training platform for you know a barista because they you know that that's a it's a good entry level job where it gives you exposure to like social interaction but also a little bit of technical skill with brewing etc. Um, my vision is obviously this these details still need to be hashed out but is to stream their compensation, right? Like I think Jack Mahler's did this awesome uh, video back in the day when they released streaming payments through Strike. And what I'd love to, to, to have them do, and I have to look into the, you know, the legal side and the regulatory side, um, but is to bypass the, the whole idea of getting a weekly paycheck or biweekly paycheck mm. and just streaming their compensation right to their wallet. Right. Yeah. And, 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 I, I still have to figure out if there's systems that 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 make this a little bit easier to do from an accounting standpoint and everything. But but get them set up with a wallet and uh, and stream their their compensation to their wallet if they want to. If they don't uh, transact in Bitcoin, they can uh, with Strike. There's an easy on ramp to to load it back up into their into their bank account, or they can load it up onto you know send a Lightning payment to a product like Pay with Moon where they offer the, the credit cards and add it to their digital wallet for transactions. So like really integrating a wraparound service to, of education and, and really not just learning in a classroom what it means to, to use Bitcoin, but actually make it happen in their lives and right mm -hmm. and put on these on-ramps and these educational tools to, to help them become part of the ecosystem and, and learn by doing versus learning by, by trying to read or, or listen and educate themselves that way. So I definitely want to, that's, that's, that's kind of a, a nice tab that I'd really like to explore from the get-go um, and even do some of the enable Bitcoin transactions for purchase of goods. Um, so that's, that's one way that I'm exploring, um, but also, you know, putting up, uh, you know, starting educational seminars. So we're looking at, I'm looking at a couple of spaces last week and this week for programming where we could put on workshops um, and have dedicated space to, to do seminars and invite the community to, to hold workshops on educating anything. Cause I, like I mentioned that, that, um, example with the, 
with the kid that I interact with, just throwing the ball. It's those little touch points that these kids need, right? Of good influence, of of um, opportunity, and just things showing that people care about them, right? Um, so the the I do want to go with like a, a workshop of of through Bitcoin, whether it's um, you know Bitcoin EDU, which is actually how we met. I don't, you probably don't remember this, but in uh, in Miami during the conference. There was the event that uh, Breedlove had with uh, J.P. Sears and J.P. Uh, uh, Jordan Peterson, mm-hmm. and uh, I was helping Eric uh, kind of set up the event before uh, uh, before people arrived, and and um, and that's where I met. Uh, so Eric has Bitcoin ED. I don't know if you know Eric Podvoisky. Uh, uh, probably. That, I don't know if that's how he says right it. now. <laughs> I don't know if that's how he says his name, but that's how it's pronounced because it's Polish. Right. Um, I speak Polish. But uh, the other thing is um, also I met Greg Foss there where he has the- Oh, shit. I know, I know. Sorry. I, I do know who you're talking about. Yeah, I do. Um, and, and and looking glass with with Foss and, and the boys, right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking to, I still haven't uh, formulated an official kind of plan but I definitely want to incorporate some sort of resource that, that, that Bitcoiners have been working on to into like a core curriculum about this before they, they get started and, and give them an introduction of what the railways, what the rails are like and how to set themselves up and, and really educate. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I definitely want to pepper in um, as much as I can for, for this great innovation in the monetary space called Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, that'd be super cool, man. And if, if you do it, you know, and you want to like get some photos or whatever, just let me know. And I'll, I'm happy to share around whatever you're doing. But um, awesome. but how cool would it be? Like if you let's say you and your peer are working at Starbucks and your buddy gets paid every other week. Right. And every minute you're seeing a, a notification, your phone come in and getting paid. Like that's the kind of shit that it's kind of inconsequential, right? Like there's no difference in how much money you're getting, but just, it's just cool. It's coolness factor, like off the charts. And so like, if, if that was the case with me, when I was working like a, you know, a normal, like a basic retail job, let's say, like, I know everyone would be jealous of it. It makes no difference really, but it's just, it's super cool. Like, Hey, you got to wait two weeks for your money. I'm getting my money like while we're standing here. And it's that right. kind of stuff that I, I think would, would foster, a lot of interest. Like we, we tend to focus on the monetary and economic and the monetary history case. 99% of people ain't ever going to care about that. You know, it's just, it's, it's too, it's out of their wheelhouse, but people will care about, you know, getting their money more quickly and making it more right. easily to spend their money and making it easier to save their money. And, and, you know, like people will care about the utility that this new money provides. They just won't care about necessarily about the philosophy and the mechanics of it all. Right. But it's the start of that rabbit hole, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, wait, I can, I can get payments by the hour or, you know, by the day, whatever that cadence is. And you know, that's going to spread like a wildfire among oh, yeah. their peers mm-hmm. and it's going to pique their interest. And it's like, oh, Hey, I'm doing this. You want to learn come drop in on this workshop. So there's a virality, you know, opportunity here of like application, right? Cause if you see the effects, if you see the utility, the function that this enables, you know, through lightning, it will it'll expand and they'll share with their peers because that's absolutely something that they'll 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 talk about right because mm-hmm. there's they're receiving the benefit of the 
the instant transaction and the, 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 you know, hearing that notification that they're getting paid or whatever. Um, and it gets them excited and it gets them, starts them down that journey of learning, Oh, what is this? Why have I never heard of this? Right. And then they share it and it, and it creates like a, a, this, this pool of awareness among their peers. And, and I think it's a, it's a, it definitely is a big opportunity. Totally. And so I don't know if you've, uh, if you've heard of, of an application like that, or, or if anyone else is doing that in terms of, you know, uh, compensation for their, for their time or through work. Um, but if, if infrastructure like that exists, or there are tools or APIs that, that are, um, that make this a little bit easier, I'd love to, 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 to hear about it. Um, or if through your network, you know, you, you, you've, uh, know of someone that might be doing something similar or thinking about something similar. Yeah. Nothing rings a bell currently, but I'd be surprised if something didn't exist or wasn't in the works, uh, mm-hmm. or something like that. Like you say, I mean, I mean, maybe the accounting would be a pain in the ass, but I, that seems like a very solvable problem. So I, I, I suspect, uh, solutions are coming if they're not here. So I'll definitely forward any, I, I come across along. Um, but you know, that just going back for a sec to the, um, you know, the whole social safety net and, and the circumstance that, that currently prevails. And this goes to what we we're saying earlier, like people just don't yet have, and even we don't have a full appreciation for the downstream effects of changing something so fundamental as the money, you know, and as you were speaking, I was just thinking, and I, you know, I think I've said, mentioned this or talked about this before, but like, it's not just that, you know, uh, government will be less of a leech on society. Free markets will bloom. There'll be more opportunity. There'll be more abundance, right? And it's not just that people will be wealthier and they'll have more stability and they'll have more availability both in time and financial resources to contribute to uh, people that fall through the cracks in their community. But like, what's what's the influence of economic deprivation on broken homes? It's obviously massive, right? Like money is a huge stressor and is, you know, probably the re- reason why, you know, the, the main divisive issue in in relationships that leads to divorces, if not the main, definitely up there. And so what happens when that's dramatically dialed down? Well, you get less broken homes. What 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 impact does that have? You get less kids in, in foster homes and less kids getting into trouble and less kids without the proper guidance and examples and, and mentors and all that kind of stuff. And like, we could probably sit here and conjure up like another 10 of those things that have that socio social impact as a direct consequence of changing the nature of the money. And so I just... I, I think it's, uh, well, I guess we're all probably underappreciating just how much benefit changing the money will, will uh, how much benefit there will be from changing the money like that, you know, because it, it's it's not super obvious to people because these, these concerns haven't really been thought about too much before. And certainly we've never had the opportunity to think about these things in relation to an asset or, or money like Bitcoin. But, you know, when those people start talking about like, uh, or the necessity for maintaining some of these, you know, social or, or political structures as they exist today. I just think they're they're viewing this far too narrowly, and just how many and how uh, consequential the impacts of an improved form of money will be on all so many of the things that that generate the so-called you know negative outcomes that we that we experience in society today. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the young folks who are you know at risk, they don't understand the concept of inflation and of how fiat is, is stealing, um, through this invisible taxation, but they feel it. 
they know yeah. when they go to the store that 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 um, that Red Bull or that that bread or that that a meal costs more, right? But they don't they don't necessarily know what the root causes. And and if 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 Bitcoin is that opportunity to explain to them what this is, like that's it's dual purpose, right? They're seeing the utility of 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 these instant transactions. But also it gets them down that that journey of education and understanding and knowledge of what is going on in the system, right? And so, aside from the monetary paradigm, the the educational uh, properties of Bitcoin are are just huge, as as we've talked about this whole podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, again, money is the greatest incentive, right? And it, now it seems mm-hmm. to be incentive as that incentive works on your, as it compels you to understand it as you said right at the beginning, it compels you almost to understand, in order to understand Bitcoin, you end up having to understand so many other things and, and, and re-understand or recapitulate so many other things. And that just ends up, the, the end result of that is just a renewed perception of the world. And I, I think we'd both agree a more productive and more hopeful one. And what what's more important to inculcate in kids that have been underserved or disadvantaged a renewed sense of hope or an opportunity and you know that the future can be better and that they can you know they can actualize more of their potential in that future i mean that's seemingly what could be more important than that really amen got anything else are we are we good i think that's i think that's good yeah we covered a lot um it was a great conversation yeah, well, I think that's a, a good note to close it on. But like I said, I mean, I think it's super cool what you're doing. And so, you know, if there's photos or if there's uh, places you want to direct people, well, you can do that now. Or you, when the time comes, you can just shoot stuff over to me or tag me on Twitter and stuff. I'd be happy to to try to get it out to more people. Perfect. I will definitely take advantage of, of your offer. And uh, right now, I'm not sure if there's any direction. I mean, the, the organization is called Reach Out, reachout.org. There's not really much content on there now because it's more, you know, working behind the scenes and trying to figure out the right strategy. Um, Bitcoin yeah, donations, this... lightning donations. Oh, absolutely. Just, yeah, you should set up a, a BTC pay server or something. Or yeah, you know, or or anyways. Have you so. heard of my my thought was uh, I was going to register with the Giving Block. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I'm I'm not. I don't think I'm too familiar with them. Oh, it's just a platform that uh, that helps facilitate and make it easier to uh, to give Bitcoin donations. Right. But um, yeah, I think I have. Yeah, I, I'm not not super familiar. Yeah, but I'll, I'll there's there's a lot of work to do, a lot of work ahead. But um, I just really appreciate the exposure. I love what you're doing um, from from interviewing the legends to plebs um, and just keep doing what you're doing. And, and hopefully this touches uh reaches some years that that maybe this creates some opportunities some connections of obviously there's a lot of work to do and if if anyone is so touched that they want to contribute or something they could reach out um either on twitter i don't know how that works if you if you link like a twitter handle or or what yeah, but I'll, they can I'll, I'll, I'll put your handle in the show notes and yeah that's that's the best if anyone's listening to this and they want your uh info they can just check the show notes on the on the podcast awesome or they could just go to reachout.org and I think there's a contact form and email address that they can they can use. Sweet. Well, man, I, I appreciate the kind words. I really love the work you're doing as well. And uh, I look forward to chatting in, you know, sometime in the future, six and 12 months, we can get an update on on all the goings on. Awesome. I'm looking forward to providing it and just appreciate you, brother.
All right, brother. You too. Take care. Take care, man. 